0: So we're going to talk about an extremely important subject today. It's one that we really want to pay attention to closely. Today we're wrapping up our sermon series in Proverbs called Navigating Life Well. It's the last week and we've talked about many different areas, many different arenas of life, whether it's navigating humility well or it's navigating money well. We even talked about i got to remember this children here. We talked about other things. We talked about navigating anger well. We talked about navigating humility well and correction and planning and marriage. We went through all those things and we talked about those things. This final message is crucial to growing in wisdom and growing in their sanctification and growing in maturity and growing in joy because it's a message about navigating our heart well. If our heart is not right. Our behavior, our response to God, our response to the gospel will be not, will not be right. But when our heart is right in the way that it's responding to the gospel rightly, then our behavior changes. See, a lot of people try behavior modification. They try to change so many times in their life and they come up empty. It's because they try with the behavior first, not with the heart first. Until our hearts are changed, our lives won't change. Until our hearts are changed, our attitudes won't change. Until our hearts are changed, and when our heart is changed, our lives will change and our worship will change and we will glorify God in our life and find much joy in it. So a little, I'm going to give you a few theological words here to start. You guys know I don't do this much, but let's start here. We are dichotomous beings, okay? That means we have a physical makeup, we can see. And we have an immaterial makeup. You can call that, you know, different facets would be our soul, our spirit, our mind, and our heart. So we all know there's a there's an immaterial part of us, you know. The heart can be defined as this. The heart is the central seat of your emotions, your intellect, and your spiritual life. It's the center of it. You know, you see throughout the Bible, God just talking about a man's heart and how his heart was and how we respond because of his heart. So what we want to get to today, we want to allow the gospel to permeate that plot part that is the center of our intellectual, emotional, and spiritual life. Because when that is penetrated by the gospel, we change and we find life in Christ. So I took up a new hobby about a year ago. I said, man, I need a hobby. I don't like jogging. I will try to get in running because I feel like people look real healthy when they run and I want to be that person. No matter what I do, I can't get into running. You know, like I'll do it. I'll feel good about it, but I dread it. Like if you give me a basketball, I'll run around like a fool, but I can't just run. Some people can do that. I envy these people because you look so healthy. You look like you got it together when you can run. So I said, I need a hobby. I need something to do. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get a fish tank. This is going down. I'm gonna get a fish tank, you know? I'm gonna start with 15 gallon. We started with the beta fish first. I said, if we can keep this thing alive in two and a half gallons of water, I'm gonna move up. We're gonna move up. We kept this thing alive. Loretto. Blue beta. Natalie's pride and joy. Finally, I got, I said, I'm going for the 15 gallon. I get this 15 gallon. It took a little while. A few fish went down. I ain't gonna lie. But I got into rhythm, finally. You know? Then that thing got healthy, and I'm enjoying this tank, and they say it's very therapeutic. Just pull up a seat and wash these fish, man. I'm telling you it's relaxing, it's scientific, it's true. So you walk in my office sometimes just looking at fish, man. But something's happened to me a few times, and maybe two or three times, and I forget you'll see where I'm going, why it happens. My tank turns green once in a while. And I'm like, "What's up with this?" Then it becomes not therapeutic. It becomes so frustrating every morning you wake up walking off. It's like, you gotta look like that today? And you can't have peace. And you say, Man, my fish tank's off. My life's off. I'm not together. So we had a real bad, green, disgusting. I'm like people coming over the house. I remember Taylor came and I said, Taylor, the fish tank don't look like this. I want you to know I take care of my fish tank. Like I'm having to explain to people because I feel guilty and I'm ashamed. Natalie is at the verge of telling me to throw the thing out. I can see it in her face. Like, what's up with this? So I said, I gotta take, I gotta attack this. So the first thing I tried is I tried to throw some chemical in there. It's like water clearer. And so you put it in there, it's supposed to get the particles and clear it out. It didn't do it. I said, this is ridiculous. So I said, I emptied the whole thing out twice. I mean, all new water. Take every fish out. I'm putting it in pots. I'm cleaning it out. Clean the whole thing, put it back together. And I say, this thing's still misty. Then all of a sudden within a day, it got green again. I said, I can't do this anymore. This fish tank is on the verge. I finally said to myself, it's an algae bloom. Unless I get to the heart of the problem, unless I get to the root of the problem, no matter how many times I change this tank out, no matter how many times I take something out and clean it and put it back in, no matter how many water purifier things I put in there to make it better, it might get better for a day or for two days, but it's going to get green again. It's going to look the same. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be disgusting. I'm going to want to throw it out. I went to the store and got the algae bloom stuff, walked up to the tank, went like this three hours later, clear, as you could imagine. I said, I just wasted three weeks of my life messing with this tank on a Saturday, three hours dumping stuff out. I need to get to the heart of the problem. I need to get the root of it. If I didn't get to the root of it, no matter what I did in that tank, taking out the filter, taking out the thermostat, taking out all that stuff, the heater, whatever, no matter how many times I changed that water, unless... I got to the heart of it and put that algae bloom in, it wasn't going to change. It wasn't going to be clear. It's the same with our life. No matter how much you try to change your behavior, unless the gospel gets a hold of your heart, you're not going to be changed. You need the gospel to permeate your heart to change. So today is a great day. God, by his grace, gives us his word, gives us his gospel, and we can change. This is what I want you to hear. Some people say, I can't do it. I keep ending up in the same spot. I can't change. I can't be more like Christ. I can't grow. I can't mature. That's all a lie. The reality is the gospel is so powerful that he, through the power of the gospel, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, can make you more like Christ and change you and give you new desires and make you look like you never thought you'd look and make you have joy like you never thought you'd have in your life. I need you to hear that today because sometimes we lose hope that we're going to grow as disciples and that we're going to mature as people and as image bearers of God. But I want you to hear hope in the gospel today. So we're going to preach from this text today. It's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 through 27. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So let's start here. This text, the scripture, Jesus calls us to guard our hearts, that central place of our emotions, of our spiritual life, of our intellectual life. He calls us to guard our heart. When I was younger, I got a, a picture. Someone gave me a big picture. It was a painting of a knight. He had a white cloak on. He had a red cape on. And he was with his sword. It was nighttime in this beautiful big cathedral. And he was on his knees before the altar. And it was called the vigil. And for those of you who don't know what knights, what they do, when you want to join the knighthood, you had to do an all-night vigil your first night. You had to pray and intercede for the people and you were symbolizing what you would do in your life. You would always be on guard. You would always be vigilant. Your cloak was white because it signified being holy and being pure. And your, your cape was red because it signified that you would were willing to be wounded for another person. And so I love this painting because I, I loved what it showed. That there was a man who was up guarding the town, guarding the people on watch for others. We need to be on watch not only for others... But for our own heart in a vigilant way, we need to guard it because it's so susceptible to evil, to sin, to bad habits, to destructive behavior, to idolatry. It's so susceptible to so many things in our hearts that we have to guard it with the gospel or our actions will go in ways that are not God-glorifying because our heart has went in ways that are not God-glorifying. I'm reading a book right now to my kids called Ricky Ticky. I can't figure out if it's Ricky Ticky Tavi or Tavi. You know me with my Boston accent. I can't make all my A's. My kids are correcting me. I don't know. I'm going with Tavi. But they're saying it's Tavi, you know what I mean. So I'm reading this book to my kids. Do, do you guys know the story of Ricky Ticky Tavi? If you don't, you're missing out. This is a gem. It's a mongoose. One of my favorite ammo because they take out snakes. This family finds this mongoose. It looks like he drowned. His family, the mongoose family went down. It's all sad. There's a little mongoose. They say he's dead, but the father says, no, let's take him home. Maybe we can revive him. They take Ricky Tiki home. He gets revived. Everyone's rejoicing. He becomes this great pet. And he's just up. Mongooses are always on guard. They're very vigilant creatures. So as the guy's writing this book, he's just telling you, every Every sound he hears, he's checking every crevice of the house, every part of the house, he's watching everything. He's everywhere because they're on watch. Nighttime comes and Teddy, who is the son, goes to bed and the father, the mom and dad are putting him in the bed and the mongoose jumps in bed with him. And the mom goes, I don't know if I'd like this. You should be sleeping with mongooses. I don't know if this is a good idea. And the dad goes, he's safer with that mongoose than he'd ever be with a bloodhound, right? Because he will protect him and he guards him. The mom thought the mongoose could bring him harm. But the dad said that mongoose is going to bring him protection and guard him. The reason I share that story is because that's how some of us view the gospel. We think that when someone shares the gospel to us, when someone shares the will of command of God, that the gospel is actually meant to take things away from our life and be detrimental to my life. Like, you can't take that sinful behavior away from me. Don't holy the gospel's going to take that away? I can't live like this. Oh, you took it away. The, the, Jesus taking stuff away from me. Like we think the gospel's bad for us. Like it's it's going to take joyful stuff away. But really, it happens. The gospel gives you everything, and it puts you it gives you a guarded, protective, and joyful and satisfied life. We perceive it wrong. The gospel is what you need. What you need, and it's going to be a theme today. Some of us need to repent. No, repentance is a gift. Some of us think, I gotta stain my sin. I, I, I need it. I need this. You gotta repent of it because it's detrimental to your health as a Christian, as an image bearer of God. You think the gospel is meant to take away and it's trying to give you freedom in Christ. Why should we guard our hearts? It says, guard your heart with all vigilance. We need to be on guard against our hearts because it's a central place and our behavior is dictated by our hearts. Scripture says, guard your hearts, because out of your heart flow the springs of life. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ever heard someone say, they say something horrible? Like, you're horrible, I never like you, are disgusting, get out of my life. They'll be like, I didn't mean that. Yeah, they did. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Your words matter. You can't say, I hate you. I didn't mean that. <laughs> No, that was in there, brother. That was in there, sister. That was in there. The reason you said that is because your heart got that stuff bubbling up in there. There's no such thing as empty words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the person acts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the person is. I love that lady here today. The newest member of Restoration Road. I love headburns. I, headbands. I have two girls. Love the headbands. So this past Monday, you guys know I'm a storyteller. Here we go. This past Monday, I had to change to do a service upgrade. And I'm thinking, you know, this is like the one of the worst winters we've ever had. And like it just shines a little. Everyone's just outside. It's like 50 degree. People have tank tops on. You know, like that. We're, we're, everything's relevant with us around here. You know, it was so, it was so such a bad winter. People were in shorts in like 45 minutes. It's a nice day out. So it was a, I was going to. To work outside, I was changing a service, and I was excited. I didn't think right because I threw on pants instead of shorts because it was going to be like 80-something. I show up at the job, and I'm doing the meter and the wire on the outside. So I'm like, this is great. I'm there early. This is going to be awesome. What I didn't realize is how hot it was going to get. I got so hot in my pants. And my buddy walked out with a pair of shorts in the morning and said, you want to wear these? I said, I ain't wearing those shorts. I made a decision in the morning. I'm sticking with it. About 12 o'clock, man, I had to humble myself, man. I had those shorts on, man. A little tight, but I put them on. It got so hot that I felt like I was dying. Like I had to take timeouts in the shade. I looked across because we were working across the street from my buddy, my partner in business, and I saw the hose. I said, man, I'm going to drink out of the hose. At first, I was like, I'm just going to wet myself down. It's that hot. But then I said, I went over there, I turned on the hose, it felt so good. I felt like a kid, like six years old. I'm hosing myself down. I just began drinking the hose. It was so hot. And it was like the best drink I ever had. And I remember thinking, this hose is dirty. Natalie would be mad at me if I was drinking out of this hose. But it was like the best drink I've ever had. It was like springs of life. There's my, my metaphor right there. But I remember thinking, like, it was like a drink I hadn't had in a while. Like, I drink out of convenience now. You know, like, I have my drink. Uh, I'll have a little apple juice. OJ, I'll drink. But I can't remember the last time I felt so dehydrated that I need to spray my face with the hose and drink the water that I was spraying my face with the hose with. And I remember thinking, like, this is the best water I ever drank. It was tap water coming through a dirty hose. And I was like, this is like springs of life right here. I was just at peak of happiness. Do you realize that you can be a spring of life in other people's lives? So I want to start there because we usually always start with ourselves. Do you realize there's people who feel like that emotionally, spiritually, just as a person? They feel worn down by life. They feel broken. They have low self-esteem. They feel horrible. You never know a place where a person is and that you can be like that hose and you can give them springs of life. When your heart is right, you lift other people up around you. When your heart is wrong, people don't want to be around you. And we'll get to that part. But when your heart is right, your very presence makes people feel better. Because they know you're not going to judge them. They know, you know, they're going to love you. You know, their words are going to build you up. You know, you know that if anything happened, you'd be there for them. Like, you become a springs, a spring of life to other people. Isn't that what we want to be as Christians? You know, sometimes we get so caught up with ourselves who are miserable. What we really need to do is give outward. And when our heart is right and penetrated by the gospel, people want to be around you and become like a spring of life to people. They just want to hear your words. Isn't it so good to be around someone who's uplifting? It's so good to be around someone who said, you know, if anything goes down, they'll be there. I mean, Dave's like that. Dave, I didn't mean to put you in a sermon. I don't care. If it was three o'clock in the morning and I had a plane trip, I had to get on a plane the next morning at seven and I called Dave at 3.30. I'd be like, Dave, man, my ride's not there. I need some help. They'd be like, all right, throw all my shots. Be there, brother. He'll show up with the donut and the coffee and drive like, like it was planned all month. He'd be like, how you doing? they like, me, I'm like, who's calling my house? you got to, three weeks before, you got to let me know. i got to put it on the agenda. You know what I mean? When people's hearts are right, they'll do anything for you. They care for you. You become a spring of life. And let's just give you a few more characteristics of a heart that is a gospel-guarded heart right here. A gospel-guarded heart is grateful to God for what he has received starting with the gospel. His words are graceful words. He speaks the praises of God. In Psalm 34, 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You ever met a person who hearts right and they're just always praising God? I had this one guy, every time I see him, he's just like, great day to be a Christian. I'm just like, that's annoying, man. Stop saying that to me. Stop saying that to me. My heart's messed up. Yours is good. That messes me up. But he's right. Every day is a great day to be redeemed, and be covered by God. And we need to live in that truth and be grateful and see the evidence of God's grace in our life. Because when a heart is right, a heart is grateful and its words exalt and praise God. A guarded heart lives a life as a holy sacrifice. It says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. A heart that is right wakes up and says, this day's not all about me. This day is about giving my life for others and for the glory of God because the gospel has led them in that direction. Things go through your mind like, i got to take up my cross daily. You know what? It might be tough today, but I'm doing this for the glory of God. When a heart is penetrated by the gospel, those things happen. A guarded heart encourages others. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I said this a few weeks ago. So important that we use um, our words to encourage each other. One of the reasons it says to gather together to worship Jesus, that we stir each other up in the faith. That we're meant to come together. When you leave here, you should be encouraging the faith, encouraging your giftings, encouraging the gospel. Our words should be edifying and lifting each other up. You know, so much detrimental stuff out in this world. It's just so negative. When you come to the body of Christ, our words should be uplifting, because our hearts are rooted in the gospel. A guarded heart knows the path of the Lord. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It was up in my house when I was younger. Proverbs three five and six. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path." A gospel guarded heart knows the path you know everyone's praying what is your will for? we spoke on this few weeks ago what's god's will for my life listen we all have the same god's will for our life is all the same bring him glory be on his mission share the gospel so other people come to jesus strengthen the body it's the same mission for all of us we're so ourselves so focused on ourselves we all think we have own individualistic wills for our life what's your will i'm gonna hang out in the grass and just ponder No, we're supposed to be on mission together to make much of Jesus. That's God's will for every person's life, everyone's life. How can you do that? How can you use your gifts to do that? How can you support others and support the church and be on mission and take up your cross? How can you do that? That's God's will. Your path is straight. Everyone's like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. This is what you should do with your life. This is what's beneficial and fruitful and abundant and eternally rewarding. To be on the mission of glorifying God. you guys hear me with that? Because we waste our life on so many things. There's so many distractions. Live your life to glorify God. You don't have to go to the left or to the right. See Jesus, follow him, glorify him, make much of him. You will never be more satisfied and joyful in your life. Other things offer you the world and leave you empty. Jesus never does. Never does. And his mission never does. A guarded heart is a repentant heart. You, me, all of us as Christians are constantly confronted with stuff that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of. God the Holy Spirit has indwelled you as a believer if you put your faith in Jesus. That means there's going to be things in your life that he's convicting you of. There's things in all of our lives that grieve the Holy Spirit and we need to repent of. Now people once again look at that, no, don't tell me to repent. I don't want to repent. That's horrible. Get away. You want repentance in your life more than you even know. Repentance brings freedom. Godly repentance leads to change. Godly repentance leads to sanctification. When you truly feel the weight of your sin in an area of your life, and you repent of it, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies you of that, that is one of the most rewarding things that can ever happen in your life. So let's go to the second part of the scripture, where Solomon is actually instructing his son, and he focuses on these two points. He says, Put away crooked speech. One of the first things that goes bad when your heart is bad are the words you speak. Right? The words we speak. That's one of the first things that goes bad. Now, let me define crooked speech for you. Crooked speech or devious speech is any speech that is used the way That God didn't design it to be used. So if we use our speech in a way that God didn't design it to be used, it becomes crooked. Johnny's testing my heart, pacing in the back. I love him to death. But he's thinking about the football game or something. And I'm like, preaching, looking up. I love him, forgiving, love, repent. All right. Crooked speech, a devious speech, brings strife and division rather than unity and peace. So let's hear this first. Crooked speech, when our words aren't right because our heart isn't right, it brings strife and division rather than unity and peace. So our words are meant to bring unity and peace, right? That's what God designed our words for. He designs our words to glorify him, to lift him up and encourage others. When our words bring strife and division, our words are crooked. And when our words are crooked, our heart is crooked. Have you ever met a person that all they want to do is argue? You'd be like, it's a beautiful day. It ain't a good day. Last March, it was better out. Know what you're saying before you say it. I'm like, what's wrong with you, brother? Your heart's messed up, man. Something wrong with it all up in here, dog. Why do you want to fight? I just want to, how are you, you know? I'm telling you, when I was younger, the started day, Natalie, every conversation I got into had to be confrontational. And so one day now they said, what the heck's wrong with you? Why do you want to fight everything? Like, leave my dad alone, like, he gets that bread because he likes that bread. I shouldn't get that bread. Like, well, why am I fighting over bread? Everything I did was confrontational because my heart was messed up. That's all I ever knew, you know? Every conversation was heavy. Every conversation was serious. Everything was overpassionate. I'm like, I shouldn't be talking like this. My wife called me out. I got to repent. And little by little, I've got better. Because my heart wasn't right, so I, wherever I was, I brought strife and I brought division. That's crooked speech. Our words are not meant to bring division and to be strife everywhere we go. We need to, what we need to do about that if we're like that? Repent. Repent. You need to repent of not using your words the way they should be and receive the grace of God. Secondly, I don't think a lot of people know this is so important in our culture because some reason we have adopted that this is okay and there's grace for those of us who do it. Crooked speech complains. Crooked speech complains. I don't know when it was okay that it was all right to complain about everything in our life. God made our words to be grateful. And when we live lives where we're always complaining, we're saying what God has given us isn't enough. Whether it's our job, our spouse, our family, our children, our house, the place we live, the season of life. If we're constantly complaining about these things, That is crooked speech. Because a heart that has been guarded by the gospel is gracious, is singing the praise of God. If we live lights, we're always complaining. What do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to change. We need to find grace in God. We need to mature. Crooked speech tears down others' self-esteem. I had to take sarcasm totally out of my... I'm still trying. Once in a while, it bounces in. I just made fun of people so much in my life that I had to repent so much that it was so hard to get sanctified from it. But then I realized that my speech was crooked, and I was making fun of people so much that it was actually hurting them. And I realized that I was hurting people's self-esteem so bad that it was all crooked speech. I realized God didn't make me to make fun of everybody else, right? I'd like to make fun of myself now because i got to get it out somehow. I make fun of myself. There's so much to make fun of. And, you know, I might be sarcastic about situations, but when it comes to people, we don't realize how much it hurts people when our speech is crooked and it hurts their self-esteem. It's absolutely crooked because your words should not bring down somebody. Your words should lift them up. When people come away from a conversation with you, they should be uplifted. Their self-esteem should be higher. Their identity in Christ should be more. They should be filled with encouragement and grace. So when our words are crooked and when we're constantly tearing down others, Our heart is crooked, and what do we need to do? Repent. Another thing Solomon says is repent of wavering. When your heart is not rooted in the mission of God, you know what you always do? You always say, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Right? You look to the left, you look to the right, you're on that focus and you're looking ahead, And then you say, okay, this sinful behavior looks like it will be more satisfying. Let me go to the left. Or you get a little further and you say, hold on. Is money more satisfying than God? Let me step off this road. You know, there's so many things that can distract you and our focus, like Solomon's saying, has to be ahead. Because the world offers so much, right? What's the definition of the things of the world? The lust of the eyes the pride of life, the pride in possessions, when you're walking on the road to bring glory to God, those things are all on the side of the road saying, come here, get off the road, go to the left or the right, swerve. Spend all your money on this so you're in debt. Come over here. Oh, this is going to make you happy. Go over here. Like, there's all these earthly possessions that just say, I need that. And it always leaves you empty. You're on that road. You see that girl that you know you shouldn't be with. Sexual morality is going to happen. You swerve. You go off. You lose your focus. That's why Solomon is telling his son, stop looking to the left and the right. Stop getting taken off the road. Look at the path a life to glorify God. It's so important. So important. Because I understand it's tempting in this world. I understand it's a constant battle with our heart. I know that. But our eyes need to be fixed on the gospel and advancing the gospel and bringing glory to God. Or We will go from the left and the right And we will not stay on the road that God has called us to. We will waver. So let's talk about some application. What I want us to do right now, I want us to do a heart evaluation. I want you guys to ask yourself some hard questions. I'm not going to make you share. (laughs) But I'm going to ask you to really ask, because this is what we should do regularly in our our hearts, in our life. I want to ask you, what does your heart honestly don't lie to yourself, because change never comes if you lie to yourself and you justify things. What does your heart really value the most? What does it value the most? What do you worship, right? What do you worship? The way you engage what you worship, it's what you are most devoted to. What are you most devoted to in your life? The answer should be God, and for many of you, maybe it could be God, and it is God, Right? But many times there's other things that compete with God and become most valuable in our life. And our heart is an idol factory, meaning we're constantly trying to fabricate idols and build them up to make them more valuable than God. What I want for Restoration Road is we value God and his gospel the most and everything else falls in its place. Because other things compete for the affections of your heart. And we are led astray so easily. I want you to ask yourself, what competes for your affections? I want to just take 10 seconds. Really think of it in your heart. What competes for your affections above God? I'll give you a few common ones. All right? After you just thought of that idol that just came up in your heart, I want you to repent of it. I want you to repent of it for your own good, for the glory of God. Repent of that idol. It is not as valuable as God. Let me give you two major ones that I think... And as a, as a pastor, sometimes, you know, like different churches have different struggles with different idols, right? We're all different people. We're all different. We have different behaviors. We have different hearts. One of the two major issues I want to talk about are, and I'm going to use code because there's kids in here, the first one being money is an idol to a lot of us. The second one being the no, you know what I'm talking about, Right? Let's start with money. As a pastor over the years, I've had conversations with many people like, I hate talking about money. be honest, I need to grow in it. I hate it. I put the bucket in the back. I talk about it before. I'm like, they think I want money. They think I want those pastors who like money. I'm like, I I go through that struggle. Like, I put it in the back. You you know what I mean? I don't like money. The truth is, Jesus preached on it 25% of the time. And he rebuked people and said people couldn't follow him because of their love of money. And so, I run into a lot of conversations with people about money. And I hear some of the craziest stuff. Now, I know we're all sinners, and I know of man, is messed up. But I heard people really come to me and say this. If I give the church, that's like another bill. And I'm like, what? So that's like a car payment. Did you just compare the church to a car? Did you just compare the mission of God to glorify God to a vehicle? Did you just compare a vehicle to the vehicle for God's glory? Like, that heart's messed up, brother. That heart, our heart, our heart's value system is messed up. If you're comparing your car payment to giving to the church, you see what our heart does? If your cable bill and your DVR is more important than giving to the mission of God, I say we need a heart evaluation, right? If your bushes mean more than you giving to the church, and your landscaping means more than you giving to the church, you need a heart evaluation, Right? That's what our heart does. We look at things and we value them wrong. A holy, mighty, awesome God with a gospel that saves lives and changes people who are dying, who don't know Jesus. If they don't repent, they will go to hell. And we value other possessions more than we value the mission of God in his church, which he died for. Do you guys hear what our heart does? And I'm preaching to myself. I'm on the same level as you guys. Our heart is so messed up and we value things totally the wrong way. I got to use the word. I'm sorry. It's probably the message. When it comes to sexual immorality, right, we value being sexually immoral above the will and command of God. And these two things go together. The reason I thought of money and that thing is because they're always partnered. Because as a pastor, once again, I'm always talking to people who are living immoral in that way. Always. Like, did we miss the memo? (laughs) Like, follow Jesus holy. And I know it's hard, I know it's tempting, I understand that. So I'll talk to people. You know what they say to me when I tell them, listen, you need to live holy in this area. And I've been a pastor for a while, so I've talked to many people, and it's the same thing. I say, you got to be holy. You can't be fornicating. Like, that's not okay. They're like, we don't have the money to get married. What? What? So you just valued money over God's command and holiness? you see that value system, how it's messed up? And people look at me like, you don't get it? There's no money. i got to save. You decided to be immoral before God because you don't have enough money? Do you see how the value system in our heart does that? We value that word (laughs) above God, and the value system puts God down here and that here, and then we value money above it. Our value systems are all messed up, and I'm talking about those two things because I think at Restoration Road, those things are idols to us, and we need to repent of them. You know, before a man commits adultery, he has committed adultery in his heart a thousand times. Guys, and I'm sorry, there's some youngins here, I some parental talk going off after this message. It is not okay in your heart to lust after another woman and watch porn. That is not okay. Well, it's just on the TV. I'm not doing anything. Here you are. <laughs> shoot. <laughs> yes, you are. That's why Jesus had to raise the, raise the level when he came. He said, no more just physically because he knew our hearts, right? We'd do everything to get around. It. I didn't physically do it, but my heart is going to lust. My heart is going to imagine. My heart is going to fantasize over another woman. That's sinful. That's wrong. And what do we need to do? Repent of it. You can change. You can be made holy. Your heart, you can change because your heart can change in that area. Those are two idols that we need to repent of. Because once again, you think, you think, we think that the gospel is trying to take stuff away from you, right? God's trying to take that away from me. I love that. No. God's trying to get you so your heart's in the right place, so your life will be in the right place, and you will actually be more satisfied when you follow the will and command of God than you ever are chasing those idols that leave you empty. Please hear that. You guys know me as a pastor. I'm with you. I'm fighting with you. I'm praying for you. But we need to repent, and our hearts need to get right. Our hearts need to get right. And let's end here. Some of us might be saying, I can't change. I understand that. I've, I've been there. I'm there in some other areas of my life. Like, I need to change, but I can't. Some of us say, I always try. I can't change. It's just I'm not disciplined enough. I don't have the desire to change. You know, All these things can happen. Let me tell you something. God, the Holy Spirit, is so much more powerful than your weaknesses. He's so much more powerful than even your sinful desires. And God can give you a new heart in areas of your life. Do you understand me? You might say, I can't change in that area. I can't do it. There's too much at stake. God can change your heart and make you holy in that area. Christ died to enable us to repent and to overcome. And when our hearts are right, and our hearts are purified by the gospel. You live a life of God's glory, your joy, and become a spring of life to others. Amen. Amen.